This is the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast, where I explain how caregivers can lovingly respond to confusing or challenging behaviors and reconnect with family members living with dementia. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes and is no substitute for medical advice or care. Hello, awesome listener. Today, I'm doing something a little different during today's podcast. I am recording outside at a horse farm in Harpersville, Alabama, Al Gazeera, which means oasis. This is my happy place. Every weekend, I come out, ride my horse, hang out with my horse buddies, pack a lunch, and I stay out as long as I can because right now the weather is beautiful and the last couple of weekends have been rainy and crappy. So I am taking full advantage of beautiful blue skies, 60 degree weather, and you may hear a horse snicker in the background. Right now you might be able to hear the wind chimes. You may hear birds. You may hear a couple riders shouting encouragement to each other or (laughs) yelling at their horse, but this is my happy place, and I wanted to bring that energy into today's podcast. I'm Rita Jablonski, and welcome to the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast. Okay, let's get started. I have two topics today. The first one came from a question that was posed to me by a listener and we were talking about this the other day and by the way if you have questions you can email me at rita.jablonski at gmail.com I also have another email in the notes in the show notes because I was experimenting with different emails but some people look me up on the internet and I get questions and stuff from listeners in my work email it's fine all good I do answer, it might take me a little while, but I do respond. And this person posed a question and we wound up talking about it. So the concern was two nursing home residents, a male and a female, strangers to each other as far as everybody knows or anybody knows. And they both came to the facility around the same time. The woman, is ambulatory she walks around does her thing and the gentleman is wheelchair bound and needs a lot more help so the situation that arose was the woman every time she made eye contact with the gentleman would become visibly upset and would start to scream at the top of her lungs leave me alone don't touch me i don't want you to do that and other statements that the poor gentleman was perplexed and he would look around more confused than he already was and look around at the staff and say I haven't done anything and he would get very upset and both residents would be upset for hours after the incident and the staff didn't know what to do so a staff member when she told me about the incident my first question was is it possible something happened between the two absolutely not okay my second question was is it possible that this resident the female resident 
Did she experience something in her past, some type of assault, some type of negative experience? And the employee hesitated and said, I, we don't know, like her family isn't aware of anything, but the way she's reacting, it seems very real. She's very disturbed by whatever event she's reliving. And it is not uncommon for people to relive past traumas with dementia. The literature that I'm referring to is some studies that came out of Israel. I want to say maybe in the 90s, it's been a minute since some of these studies have come out. And the staff are reporting that concentration camp survivors who developed dementia seem to be reliving their time in the camps. And it was awful. They would be asking for blankets. They'd be talking about not being fed. And it was truly some, they were reliving their trauma. And when yucky things happen to us, yes, we do try to bury them and forget them. But the thing is, should we develop dementia, we may find that those memories become uncovered and released. This, it's very difficult to do some type of randomized clinical trial to prove this point, but it's something, it's a phenomena I've also seen in my 20 plus years of working with people living with dementia and having them go back to events or sometimes take a couple traumatic events and mush them all together. So the staff person, her first question was, how do we keep this from happening? And the second question was, how do we handle this very upset lady? So I started asking questions. Does she react this way with all men or just this resident in particular? The answer was she only reacts to this particular resident. Are there other male residents? Yes, there are other male residents, but she only gets upset with this gentleman. Okay. And in fact, I was told that there were some male nurses and she was fine with the male nurses. Absolutely accepted care from them. And I thought about it and I said, are the male nurses a different ethnicity than the female resident? Yes, they are of a different ethnicity. I said, okay, then her assailant, if whatever had happened, was probably a white male and this resident is a white male. And maybe there's something about him that is triggering her, like maybe the same eye color or mannerism, who knows? So the first thing we need to do is figure out when the situation is likely to happen. I said, any pattern? And I was told, oh no, there's no pattern. And then we talked some more and suddenly the employee said, wait a minute, it seems to happen mostly at mealtime. And the situation is the way the dining area is set up, a lot of the residents face each other and the female resident will make eye contact with the male resident and the spiel begins. So I suggested a script and that was telling the female resident, hey, come over and sit here. I could use your help. I don't know, putting down napkins, doing something. And then 
my other suggestion was sit them back to back so they don't make eye contact. And you might even have to tell the other shifts to do this and that will be your strategy. Okay, cool. We've been doing something like that and it does seem to work, but we were wondering if you had any other ideas. Short of separating them and putting them in two different units, not really. The next question I received was, what do we do when this female resident is so upset? And the employee was very caring and concerned. And the employee said to me, I don't want to negate. It's very real to her. I don't want to dismiss her. I don't want to use distraction. I really feel like I shouldn't be discounting what she is experiencing. And I said, okay, so what you may want to do is if the situation cannot be prevented and she becomes upset, I want you to try a couple different things. The first one is to maybe take her by the hand or gently touch her shoulder and say, I see you're upset, let's talk. And then take her to a private area and just let her vent and let her say what she wants to say. The other option was to maybe use a different script along the lines of, I see that you are upset. Do you want to talk about it? How, or how can I help you? Try different things. I like open-ended sentences and I like the, I see you're upset, how can I help you? Now, I don't know what this resident is going to say, but by pulling her to a quieter area and allowing her to talk about the situation, there may be a process that somehow you work through it and maybe the behavior will stop. I don't know, I don't think we know enough about past life trauma and dementia, but it's worth a shot because the other options that were being talked about in the facility was medicating her. I'm not a big fan of throwing medications at behavior. There is sometimes a time and place for intervention, pharmaceutical intervention, but it shouldn't be the first reaction. And then you cause other problems, sedation, falls, more confusion. And then the final option was telling one of the two they had to leave the facility. And that's not fair. I don't know if any of my suggestions have worked. I will probably find out in a week or two from that podcast listener if she chooses to let me know and follow up. But I was happy to have helped in some small way. Okay, so at this point, I'm going to take a quick break and I will come back in a few seconds. The other topic I want to talk about, and I've decided there's two more topics I want to talk about, so I wasn't quite accurate in the beginning of the podcast, but the next two topics I want to talk about, the first one is what should I do if I think I'm starting to have memory problems or if someone in my life looks like he or she is starting to have memory problems. And 
my advice, especially at this time, is to get the individual evaluated by a practice that will likely be part of administering the new FDA-approved medication, Lakimbi or Lacanumab, because administering it earlier in the Alzheimer's dementia journey will slow down the progression from, say, mild cognitive impairment to mild dementia and then to moderate and so forth. And I know there's a lot, there's, some, there's still some up in the air about cost and how will we be administering it and which sites and so forth. But most of your memory clinics affiliated with academic medical centers are likely to be part of providing this medication, administering it, or at least referring to an infusion place that does IV infusions. But you want to first find out if your loved one or if you are having memory problems because it's something that is reversible. For example, are there certain medications that you are taking that's making your memory foggy? Are you very anxious? Are you dealing with depression? Are you not sleeping well? Do you need to use a CPAP and you hate it so you don't get good quality sleep? There are a number of reversible things that can, that once addressed, can help you improve memory. So you want to make sure that the memory problems you feel that you are experiencing or the memory problems you're noticing in a family member is due to a reversible cause. You want to rule that out. So really, a really good physical should help the clinician to determine the next steps. So let's say you you get a physical, your loved one gets a physical, and there are no reversible changes. Amira, shush. Sorry, Amira apparently is growling at leaves. So let's say you have decided that, or you're told by a clinician, nope, it, there's nothing reversible. She's, he or she's checked out, you've checked out. The next thing you want to do is be evaluated by a neurology clinic that would be part of administering the disease-modifying drug, MB. And there's different protocols that different clinics are likely to do, but I know in our clinic, the protocol that we've been discussing is first to do a screening blood test to see if the pathology is due to tau protein which would point to the likelihood of an Alzheimer's type dementia because Lakembi works by removing beta amyloid plaques and there are certain biomarkers that tell you is it is it likely to be Alzheimer's or something else so usually we do a blood test and if the blood test points to the likelihood of Alzheimer's dementia then you need imaging and an MRI to also assess for any pre-existing conditions that may make receiving Lakembi not an option. And it's important 
to get the screening and to get everything done early in the disease. If you wait too long, you lose the window. Because I have people who come to the clinic, something's been going on for a while, and yes, it is Alzheimer's, but by the time they come in and get evaluated, the person is near the end of mild and heading into moderate, and they're going to be an unlikely candidate. You also want to find out, yes, is it Alzheimer's dementia, which Lakembi is FDA approved for, or is it another type of dementia that the drug won't help? And that's also it, it, good to know. It helps to know what type of dementia you have because that allows you to understand the journey because dementias don't act alike. And that brings me to my third topic, which I wanted to talk a little bit about the Bruce Willis story that broke this past week. I remember hearing some time ago, don't remember when, hearing on the news or reading it somewhere, maybe at the supermarket tabloids, but there was a statement released that Bruce Willis had aphasia. He had trouble speaking and he would not be acting anymore. And my first thought was, did he have a stroke? No mention of stroke. So my second thought was, he probably has primary progressive aphasia, which is part of the frontotemporal dementia syndrome, the uh, spectrum rather, and either the family doesn't know or they've chosen not to release that much information. And that's where doing what I do can be dangerous because my kids half jokingly tell me I see dementia everywhere. And they seem surprised when I'm right, but maybe that's what happens when you're a parent. With Mr. Willis, I really commend the family on opening up about his illness because family members of people living with frontotemporal dementia diseases, and there's several of them that come under the umbrella frontotemporal dementia, there's not a lot that is in the news or known publicly about this disease, except for some sensationalist and erroneous stuff that you might see on Law and Order or on some other TV show. I recall a Law and Order SVU episode where this retired football player was sexually assaulting young girls and the storyline was he had frontotemporal dementia and was unaware of what he was doing. That was really sensationalist and I don't think it helped with the public's understanding of frontotemporal dementia. It's also sometimes called frontotemporal lobar degeneration and that's because the front and the side parts of the brain the frontal lobe and the temporal lobes shrink. And it's a different pathology than Alzheimer's dementia and therefore the path of the disease is a little different. As I've said in previous podcasts, there are the behavioral aspects of frontotemporal dementia and the speech aspects. 
And oftentimes people with FTD may present first with speech difficulties, having trouble with words, with word finding, can't think of the noun. They may progress to having so much trouble that the amount of their speech dwindles and dwindles down to the point where they may not speak at all. Or when they do speak, it is gibberish. It's a group of vocalizations that may not make sense. The other type that can be seen is the behavioral variant FTD, which is where the frontal lobes are shrinking faster than the temporal lobes and changes in behavior and personality. If someone was always bad with money and now they're 70 and they're bad with money, that doesn't mean it's a dementia. These are new changes. So someone who was always kind and loving to animals suddenly starts mistreating the family dog, that is a new behavior that you want to be aware of and be concerned about. The other issue with the FTD syndromes, the FTD spectrum, is that it tends to affect younger people in the prime of their careers at a time when they are maybe earning top dollar for their experience and knowledge. And there's very little safety nets in this country when that happens. So you wind up spending twice the amount of money to care for a person with one of the FTDs than you would for someone with Alzheimer's type dementia. Because these individuals tend to present they, I read somewhere that the age range is 35 to 70, but really most of the cases we see hit between 45 and 55. And now if it was a two income family, the other person, the spouse or partner who was caring for the person affected may also suffer negative financial consequences because they may be unable to work in order to provide the level of supervision that their loved one needs. And even if they're working, they may find themselves distracted by the 15 phone calls every hour, or they're worried because a neighbor is calling them to tell them that their husband has left the house and he's, went, he's gone over to a schoolyard and he's trying to interact with some of the teenagers and now someone's calling the police. Caring for someone with dementia really can curtail your income if you can't work and you need to provide care. It also impedes productivity if you are able to keep working because your ability to go to work may be dependent upon the availability of companions or sitters. And if the sitter doesn't show up, you're in a bad place. I, when I cared for my family member, we didn't, we never got to that point. I was able to move my schedule around to provide the supervision that she needed, but my productivity suffered because it was hard for me to write manuscripts and submit grants because half my mind was on my job, the other half was on 
dealing with Mary and all of her various needs. So I know firsthand that when you're a caregiver, it can be difficult to put 100% of your energy in your job. I sometimes fantasize that perhaps companies, just some companies have childcare. I really think it would be cool if some companies invested in elder care or at least provided some type of benefit where they paid a portion of the adult daycare fees or they contracted with the facility to give their employees maybe some type of discount. But that's just me fantasizing. I really think there needs to be a push on support for family caregivers, especially those caring for people living with dementia. Well, that wraps up my podcast for today. I hope I didn't ramble too much because usually I have prepared notes. This time I wanted to go over the topics that I addressed in today's podcast and I wanted to do it in a beautiful environment. Before I go though, a couple of things. If you enjoy the podcasts, please share them with other people because I, at least once a week, and this makes me feel so good, I receive an email or a Facebook message or an Instagram message and someone is saying, oh my gosh, I had just found your podcast and it is helping me so much. That's why I do what I do. So please share the podcast And I'm told that many people find the podcast and they listen to it because they're intrigued by the Make Dementia Your Bitch name of the podcast. So thank you for that. That's why I named it. Why I named it? Because I didn't want it to be boring. I will also, I am right now putting together a program for caregivers. It will be all online. I will have recorded sessions so you can listen when your schedule permits, and it will go over a lot of the dementia behaviors. So whether you're new to the journey or you're further along, this program would be helpful to any of you. I'm working on putting together the content. I did offer it about a year ago, and it was very popular. People enjoyed it. However, I wanted to change some things around based on feedback to make it better. So stay tuned. And if you aren't on my mailing list, please send me an email and I will put you on the mailing list so that you can stay abreast of when these offers go out. Thank you so much for listening. And together, we're going to make dementia our bitch. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so other dementia caregivers can find this podcast. If you are a caregiver for someone with dementia and need help understanding and dealing with these behaviors, please contact me. You can find me on Facebook, Make Dementia Your Bee, or email me, info at makedementiayourbitch.com.